Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts around the world. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And another wonderful episode today. We are excited uh, for this guest, a first-timer on the show. We've yep. got a couple a couple first-timers as of late, and... Tony, I know it's it's probably it's it's not appropriate to do this because people could be listening when when what I'm about to talk about isn't happening. But you are going through some like rolling blackouts because of a windstorm right now. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's the common uh, refrain in Muskoka. I'm afraid, but uh, the high winds mean trees fall down over wires, and uh, then you're out of power. So what do you what do you do in those situations up there? Is it like candles? Is it like you got some sort of like backup generator or what? No, I just put on a, a heavier sweater, wait it out. Charter flight to somewhere <laughs> where there's electricity. No, no. <laughs> just wait it out, you're like, you're just like, fire up the chopper. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, as always, this program is proudly presented by the team at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. John Mutton and the crew doing a wonderful job there. And Tony, I know that you're going to expand on that a little bit more and then Thank some of our other wonderful supporters. Yes, we want to thank the Muttonator for his continued support as our presenting sponsor. As you know, Municipal Solutions provides development services and project management, uh, development approvals, permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services. If you have a minor variance or a land severance issue, or if you need a building permit, go to Municipal Solutions at municipalsolutions.ca. And we also want to thank our newest sponsor, Jody, who is uh, Trevor Townsend. He is the Senior VP and Investment Advisor at Canaccord Genuity Corporation. Uh, for the past 25 years, Trevor has successfully built an investment advisory practice. He provides counsel to affluent investors and private corporations in the public markets. So if you need strategic investment planning, and wealth management. If you're a business owner, if you're an executive, if you're a management professional or a retiree or an affluent investor, he provides a holistic approach to his advice. And you visit Trevor at trevortownsend.ca. And then finally, Stephen J. Sparling. He has haltongr.com. It is a municipal lobbying firm representing development industry clients in the GTA West, in Etobicoke, in Mississauga, in Oakville. Visit haltongr.com. And don't forget to check us out on looneypolitics.com, exclusive content that you cannot get anywhere else. And in order to get it, you got to be an annual subscriber. Use the code podcast at looneypolitics.com and open your eyes up to a whole new world. I guess your ears too, because you get, there's exclusive videos, exclusive articles, and then of course, exclusive podcasts. So open your eyes and your ears and just open up everything. So open up everything. <laughs> looneypolitics.com. That sounded horribly That's inappropriate. That's smooth, oh, yeah. baby. <laughs> I don't know what went wrong. That's, uh, well, this could be our last podcast. Yeah, Actually, exactly. you know, the CRTC has no control over this, right? No, no not yet. Oh, not well, yet. screw them. Screw them. Yeah. We're good. Let's uh, let's see what other offensive things we can get in in the next 20 minutes. All yeah, right, I'm going to let you... Uh, what's that? Until Trudeau shuts us down with his... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We have a couple months before that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to let you introduce our guest, and then we will roll from there. Yes, we will. It is And Another Thing podcast. Great pleasure to have with us Tasha Carradine. Tasha is a conservative media commentator. 
who has uh, worked in radio, television, and print media. She's written for the National Post. She has appeared on Global News, CTV, CBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She is also a principal at Navigator Limited, and she lectures at McGill University. Ladies and gentlemen, Tasha Carradine. Thank you, Tony. That's so nice. I'll try not to be offensive unless that helps your ratings. I don't know. Does it? (laughs) Sometimes it does. Uh, You know, it doesn't hurt. Hey, we've had Warren Kinsella on, you know, so. I was just on a panel with Warren, actually, just a couple weeks ago at the Conservative Leadership Foundation. So there you go. Equal opportunity. Yes, John McAdition had his little shindig going on there. He did. He did. It was great, actually. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Well attended. That's what I heard. Uh, yeah, Steve Pakin was was there too. He's a former guest yep. as well. So, uh, yeah, lots of former guests, uh, <laughs> sort of digging through the entrails as we were. And which is one of the things I wanted to talk to you uh, right off the bat. Uh, I, I'd love to. You're obviously a commentator, but what one of the unique things about you, Tasha, is you've actually rolled up your sleeves in the political mire. You were a political staffer. You worked on campaigns. You were involved in the Youth Federation of the Conservative Party, etc. So it's not just, you don't just have an academic interest or, uh, you know, you've actually been there. So when you're a commentator, you're speaking a little bit from experience. So I'd love to get a sense, first of all, of the state of politics in this country. Well, that is a big question. Um, The state of politics right now, I think, is, uh, well... I think it's lopsided. I think partly because of the pandemic. I think uh, partly because so much focus has been obviously on getting out of it and, you know, the sort of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But um, the uh, the uh, emphasis on getting out of it has, I think, derailed all sense of fiscal prudence in, in our country. And um, while the opposition is yelling about it as loudly as they can, um, in the sort of semi-virtual parliament that we have right now uh, with Canadians now, just, you know, many of them, their biggest concern is I want to have a normal holiday. How do I get my booster? I just want this to go away. I think not enough scrutiny is being put on the government about what's happening economically. So when I say lopsided, I mean the opposition, um, you know, it's a minority parliament, but it's not really running like that. It feels as though they kind of can just do what they want. And that's frustrating because I think under quotes unquote normal circumstances or pre-pandemic circumstances, you wouldn't be having um, this, uh, I guess, this this free ride that the government is getting when it comes to uh, to spending that we're seeing now, which I think is really bad. So needless to say. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. And of course, um, you know, Canadians, they they just they're not interested. I'm not. I I I think it sounds like I'm denigrating when I say political games. But there's there are things that can be done in Parliament to render the government more accountable through parliamentary committees, through question period, all these standard things. But they're they're kind of operating at half speed right now, and mm-hmm. so the normal tools that the opposition uses to render the government accountable are not really available to them. Right. Yeah, they are. I mean, the uh, committees are actually, ironically, can sit more because being you don't have to be in Ottawa, you can do them virtually. So technically speaking, they can sort of sit their, their schedules change a lot. They can actually sit more than they than they did previously. Um, but the flip side is, I just feel that um, I don't know how much attention Canadians are paying to this. I mean, in the election, we saw 
a, a much lower turnout, which indicates, again, I don't think it was just people were scared to go vote, that kind of thing. They had a lot of options to vote. I think a lot of people are just trying to deal with their lives and politics is taking a bit of a backseat. So because of that, you have a situation where um, the government, like I said, it gets a bit of a free ride. Um, I think that the conservatives um, are the ones who are really you know, they're the ones saying, hey, look over here, there's inflation, look over here, there's there's too much spending. They've got to get more traction with their message. And uh, polls came out this week saying that they're not, you know, people are not paying attention if they're if they're concerned about it. they're not paying attention to that. I think if they start paying more attention, I think things have to get worse, unfortunately, economically before people will be really paying attention to that. And um, that's that's kind of saddening because I think that there are ways to head off that pass. And, um, you know, uh, we're not, we're not doing that. So I, um, I'm, I'm worried to be honest with you. I'm worried that, um, that mm-hmm. we're going to have another year of this and, uh, and things Canada will not be the better for it. You know, uh, and I do want to get to the broader issue issues, but, uh, I'd love your take on the conservative party and the conservative movement and the state of it. It's, it seems divided right now. It seems that, uh, there's a lot of backbiting going on within the conservative party and the conservative movement. Uh, you know, I would say conservatism generally, there's always so many different kinds of conservatism that uh, it's never a monolithic block anyway, but it just seems to be uh, almost irrelevant to uh, to what people are really concerned about. I know they're trying to advance the issues, but not really with a lot of success. I mean, what's, what's your assessment of things? Well, it, it, that is one of the issues that, that's one of the reasons I think the government's getting a bit of a pass because the conservative party is right now, um, you know, it is divided. We know this. There seems to be a sort of underfoot, nascent, knife the leader movement that uh, has shown its face in terms of a petition that's going around in terms of the MPs who've spoken out and said, you know, we, uh, we want a faster leadership review of Aaron O'Toole, uh, the MPs who gave themselves the power to do it themselves. I don't think they will. I think they will put it to the membership, but still um, that vote as well. A lot of the stuff that, you know, in the wake of a, a losing uh, election, sure, obviously people will start you know, saying, well, whose fault is it? And they'll look at the leader and they say, well, you know, you bear obviously part of the responsibility here. And maybe if we we change things up, things would be different. But I think that the problem is, of course, when you have a divided party, um, as you do, then they're less effective against the government standing up as the opposition. So again, that goes to your earlier question of what's the state of politics right now? Well, it's like, you know, it's not, the conservatives have to get their act together and be strong and united. And I think um, Aaron O'Toole is definitely trying to do that. I mean, he has, you know, booted people out <laughs> of, uh, of the Senate caucus. He has decided to uh, put more of his foot down, but it's, um, it's not going to be easy when you do have f- factions, like you said, um, there are groups within the party, um, you know, who feel that the last election did not represent necessarily what they thought. Uh, social conservatives, some of them say, well, you know, uh, the leader ran for the leadership as a very blue conservative. And what we got was not what we thought we would in the election. So the party has to decide what it is and how it's going to get to where it wants, which is obviously government. Um, you know, speaking of Warren Kinsella, you mentioned him earlier. He said to that audience at the CLF, it was quite funny. He said, you know, Liberals don't have this problem. We just think about how to win. You guys are always trying to figure out like who you are. But I think for conservatives to win, they have to figure out who they are. They have to feel that they are on the same page or else they will not come together and be a winning force. So it's tricky. But 
you know, um, it's nothing new. You've seen this movie before too, in terms of, of those identities. Yeah, no, it, it, that definitely, definitely. And, and of course we've seen, uh, in other contexts where conservatives have been very successful. Uh, you know, I think I look at Boris Johnson in the UK, although he's having his problems right now, but <laughs> he, video uh, there. <laughs> he managed to get yeah. a, yeah, everything's on video. So everything's uh, on video. But, uh, he ma- he managed during his election to uh, get uh, everyone that uh, needed to be around him on the issue of Brexit and uh, uh, leveling up uh, the north of England that had been ignored by the Labour Party for generations. And uh, bam, he gets a 90 seat majority in the House of Commons in the UK. And then I think of Doug Ford in Ontario again, you know, uh, a populist message at the time and uh, managed to patch together uh, a win that included seats in. 416 and the 905, which uh, is something that would be a, a dream for Aaron O'Toole and the federal conservatives to get seats in Etobicoke and Scarborough and uh, and uh, you know, Mississauga and so on. So so there, there, there are ways to do this, uh, to get the message out, but uh, uh, it, it did not come together for the conservatives in this last election. No, it didn't. And the areas you mentioned are the critical ones because it really does come down to you know, vote distribution. And the conservatives are so concentrated and sweep parts of the West, um, but they fail to make the necessary wins in the 905, in the 416, in the urban markets, um, you know, Montreal. uh, Well, that's a whole story with the block, but um, Vancouver, they have to get into the urban space because Canada is an increasingly urbanized country. And the more immigration we have to our country as well, um, immigrants settle in those urban slash suburban areas, um, the the notion that you know we can just rely on existing strength in rural Canada for conservatives is it's not going to take them anywhere. So what they have to do is figure out how do we, you know, maintain our conservative values and our principles and our identity, and yet appeal to voters that may not want to identify you know with the conservative party. I think it's a bit of a brand issue. I really do. I think, um, and I've talked to a number of. Uh, new Canadian candidates who were running the last election, and you said, you know, it's a sense of, can we be conservatives? Are we conservatives when we talk to new Canadians like ourselves? And the reality is, yes, in fact, there are so many shared values with conservatives, but the brand image is that, you know, the Liberal Party is the party of immigration, the Liberal Party is the party of inclusion and welcoming and all those things. And the conservatives have to find a way to overcome that. Um, You know, the irony being, of course, that when you know conservative prime ministers like Brian Mulroney admitted more immigrants to this country than Pierre Elliott Trudeau did, um, you know people don't know that, but they falsely associate the Liberals with that sort of welcome mat, and that's something that conservatives have to dispel. They try to do it, uh, you know Jason Kenney did um, under Stephen Harper, but again it has not, it did not bear fruit in this this round of, of voting, and it didn't in the previous one either. So something's got to change there if they're uh, to get seats in those in those areas. I'd like to, uh, before, I want to talk about the media, but I've got one more question about the state of politics. And uh, you, I said that you teach a course at McGill, uh, at least a lecture anyway, uh, there. Um, What's going on on campus? Like, uh, that's another area where conservatives seem to be on their back feet, uh, that uh, the forces of... uh, uh, of the culture wars and uh, this progressive, uh, almost authoritarianism, is taking hold. What's what's your what's your take on things there? 
Well, I've seen a shift. I definitely have. I, I've taught at McGill. Um, I'm actually not lecturing this year because we rotate in and out. I've done the last two years, and I taught um, in the, the 2000s, um, from 2006 to 2009. And there has definitely been a, a shift in terms of what people feel comfortable saying or what uh, you feel comfortable even saying as a professor. Um, I, I must admit, I'm much more conscious. I was much more conscious this term of issues of uh, equality, sensitivity, all those things, because uh, to your point, students are conscious of it and you see people put a foot wrong, say the wrong thing, even inadvertently sometimes, a professor that is, or, or a student in the class or whatnot. And you know, you can basically get taken to task uh, on social media. You can, um, in some cases, you've seen people get, you know, lose their their careers over this kind of thing. It's it's very, you know, cancel culture is a real thing. And I think that's partly been heightened, um, obviously, by incidents that have happened. You have a death of George Floyd. I know from students I was teaching, that was a huge marker. I mean, it was, it, it was something that really affected them. Um, and I think that this, this sort of consciousness about, Racial equality in particular, or inequality, is something that uh, the pandemic's accentuated that too. That is a really live issue. And so, you know, again, this goes back to the conservatives and their brand perspective. And, you know, what is conservatism about? Um, and too often, conservatives are tagged as intolerant. They're tagged as sometimes even racist. They're tagged as, you know, far right and they're terrible. And those stereotypes, because they are stereotypes, I mean, most conservatives are not that at all. Um, but those stereotypes stick, and it makes it hard for conservatives to feel comfortable even expressing sometimes their their opinions. And that's really unfortunate, because I remember, just a quick anecdote, when I was teaching back in the 2000s, I had students come to me in my class, I was teaching about the conservative movement, and say to me, you know, I never knew what conservatism was. I never knew there was a conservative policy on the environment. I never knew these things. No one talks about this. Thank you so much for even bringing this to my attention. These weren't all conservative students themselves, but they were really grateful for having another perspective. So it's more important than ever, but it's also more difficult than ever, I think, to uh, to get that out. Yeah, I, I got to uh, express some frustration because, of course, uh, you, you talk about uh, equality, and I, I think uh, conservatives can make a good case that they are the party of equality. They are the party that tries to be colorblind and, and to give everyone an equal opportunity for a future uh, and and be, uh, if they're hard-headed about it, it's, it's hard-headed about making sure that uh, economic opportunity is available to all. But we've now got into this looking glass world where, you know, when I went to school, when I, when I was on campus, uh, you know, uh, pro progressives were the ones who were pushing for more freedom of speech because they were the ones who tended to be canceled out by the establishment. Now that they're the establishment, they're canceling out freedom of speech if it is something that they find offensive. So we're into this world where the intolerance is actually coming from the progressive left. Yeah, I read just recently of a case in England um, where a professor told his students that they were pathetic um, for, uh, I think, being it was being overly um, demanding that it was a lecturer that, that came on campus that to be canceled, that to not appear. And he said they, they were pathetic for feeling that way. And he got hate mail. He's, you know, he got harassed. It was students were protesting with placards saying that, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I'm happy to be pathetic. Like, it's just bizarre, bizarro land. And so I think that the notion of free speech, um, and in fact, it was um, uh, not Christopher Hitchens, because he's passed away, but um, 
his son, I believe, he was he was writing this this piece and saying that free speech is dead. And that makes you, you know, it's it's shocking. Because I recall also, I recall the original political correctness movement from the 80s. Um, I, even on my library, you know, shelf at home, I have this politically correct handbook. Like it was a joke book saying about, you know, words you should use instead of other words not to offend people. Um, well, today, a lot of those, you know, those jokes, quotes, unquote, are actually what people would use. Giving offense has become the greatest crime you can commit. And that's really wrong because... Sometimes, you know, it's it's not about offending. It's just about the ability to challenge someone's thoughts or belief. And if you can't do that in an academic context, then what is university for? Um, you know, the world is not a safe place. Giving students the illusion that they should be safe all the time, that safety is the paramount concern. No, it's actually it's education. It's being able to deal with difficulties, being able to deal with people who don't think like you, but not by just shutting them down, by being able to argue, challenge, debate, you know, debating universities. That's what they used to, to prize having debating societies. Well, debating is a, you know, you do disagree with someone. You have to learn to disagree in a respectful way. And that is, is concerning to me that that is not what is being encouraged right now. Because to your point, if then you get just one opinion being the progressive opinion now, um, you're not going to see those students be able to deal in the real world where not everyone does think like them. This brings uh, me to the media. And uh, obviously you're a person who uh, is very successful and active in what I guess can be called the, the mainstream media. I'm thinking of the networks. I'm thinking of publications like the National Post and so on. Um, the media has seen a lot of change in the last 20 years uh, and uh, mm -hmm. has been struggling for relevancy, quite frankly, as new forms of media like, like this very podcast have grown in, uh, in experience and uh, in reach. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective on where the media is now and what their role is uh, in today's day and age. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. You have to differentiate between legacy media and new media. Um, legacy media being the old-fashioned stuff, the TV, radio, print that you actually hold in your hand um, versus new media, which is everything from uh, YouTube to podcasts to TikTok to, um, you know, any, any kind of uh, internet publication or online uh, written publication. And I would even include in their Facebook because there's the dissemination of information because that's what media essentially is. It's disseminating information about things that happen or things people think. And that is exploded. So you see all these different forums where people have more information than ever before from more sources, but there's less vetting of those sources. There's less fact checking for one thing. Um, and even legacy media, they don't have the same number of proofreaders and, and fact checkers that they used to for reasons of, of economics, because the, the monetization of legacy media has gone down. People are not spending as much time watching TV. They're not seeing the commercials. They're not listening to radio as much. So you've got a situation where they're cutting corners, but what's replacing them is less accountable, in my opinion, to the facts and is more looking for the long tail, i.e. the niche, right? And you make money by appealing. You can make a lot of money by appealing to just a select group of people and saying whatever the heck it is you think they want to hear. 
doesn't have to be true, doesn't have to be responsible journalism, which is defined as you have sources, you actually vet them, you don't just say anything without checking it. Um, None of that happens. So you have people are more informed and more ignorant at the same time. And it's a bad paradox because it leads to these rabbit holes where people just start circulating information on their own about, you know, like on Facebook about vaccines and this and that and all sorts of craziness, quite frankly, that's out there. And there's no one calling it out. So the media is supposed to be calling it out, but they're but they can't because they the media itself sometimes is the problem. The new media in particular is the problem. So um I'm not, uh, as you can see, as you can see, I'm not incredibly happy or optimistic about the state of of media generally. Right. Um, but I don't know to, where to predict where it's going. I don't know if there'll be a moment of reckoning and people will wake up and say, you know what? Like, I want a way to be able to know if I can trust who I'm listening to. Um, I don't think government should be that person to to say who you trust yeah, at, I mean, at all. But some some something has to be. I mean, I, I guess the only point I'd, I'd say as a rejoinder is that uh, legacy media has this problem too. Because, uh, and I'll, get, I'll use a, a U.S. example to, uh, because we, you know, we're Canadians are great a- analysts of the U.S. situation. But if you're mm-hmm. talking about the New York Times or CNN or, or, or mm-hmm. Fox News, doesn't matter. They know what their audience is. They cater their message to that audience, and it leads to some egregious situations. I think of uh, the whole brouhaha over Russia Gate, which now has been blown up in people's faces because uh, it actually didn't have a leg to stand on, most of it. Uh, and so consequently, you know, the Washington Post had to issue a series of retractions over the last few weeks of, over stuff that they printed and had vetted and had claimed to be true, you know, three and four years ago. So, you know, when people when people see that in the legacy media, they say they throw up their hands and say, see, I told you. And, uh, you know, it's all, quote, fake news or, or what have you. So this is a this is a general problem in the media, not not a specific one to the new media. No, it's not specific to. I agree. And like I said, legacy media is spending less money also on the stuff that it used to do, i.e. the fact checking and making sure that things were responsibly responsible from a journalistic perspective. But it's the competition element because, yes, you're right. Um, everyone's more narrow casted these days because that's how you make money. And I mean, media is a business. Let's be honest. That's people don't just do media out of the goodness of their heart. It is a business. It needs to have an audience. So to reach an audience, it's much easier to appeal to a niche, find your niche and stay with it, um, than it is to cast a, a wider net. It won't, it won't pay. And as a result, you get this, this, you know, more and more right. pigeonholed points of view. And that's difficult to, to deal with too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it is a big problem. Uh, last question, I'm going to throw it over to, to, to Jody. Uh, you're obviously uh, a parent. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to know, I, I've read some of your articles where you have put that sort of in the front window and said, you know, here's my perspective now as a parent, which is different from what I had as, uh, uh, as someone without a child, you know, earlier on in my career. Uh, has becoming a parent changed your views on certain things? It definitely, I mean, any parent will tell you it, it does, it changes them. I think for me, 
um, probably the, the biggest change, well, there were two. One is identifying with other parents. Um, you have a better understanding, you better appreciation of what people go through. Um, and that's from, uh, you know, just a life, a life balance perspective, an economic perspective, everything. And just, I think also, um, you know, it, it shifts your lens. It's not about you anymore. It's about your kids. So you're a little more selfless. And, um, that's, that's something that I think, uh, you know, politically, um, I guess that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm particularly frustrated, I think, with the situation around vaccination, because, um, I won't say I've become more communitarian as a result, but I do believe that there is in some cases, a greater good that you as an individual can say, Hey, I should do this for the greater good of X. In this case, my family, um, my community, um, there's a sense of, you know what it's, it's about you, but it's not always just about you. And that I feel, like I said, in the vaccination situation really bothers me when people start yelling and say, this is about my individual freedom. And it's like, well, you know, it's not just about your freedom. It's about caring about people around you and what happens to them. And if you don't care about that, if you don't want to do everything you can to make sure that people are as safe as they possibly can be from this virus, well, what does that say about you? And it, as a conservative, it bothers me because people say, well, you know, conservatives are, are selfish and they don't, they don't value that sort of, and I say no, actually. And maybe that, and it comes definitely, I feel from, from my personal experiences and my experience as a parent. The second thing too is my daughter, as you may be aware, and I've written about this, um, has Asperger's. She's on the autism spectrum. And I realized through that also how um, important it is for people also to get support. Um, I was fortunate and able to support her in the best of my ability in terms of things she needed. I mean, it was a sacrifice, but it was a sacrifice I was able to make. I didn't have to worry about paying the rent or the food. You know, it was just other things that didn't happen because I had to pay for, for therapies or whatnot. But the point is many people don't have that choice and that luxury. And that's something, it's a card that fate deals you. And it has nothing to do with how hard you've worked or what you've done in your life. So, you know what? Um, I think the responsibility or the, the sense of if you help people, you can make life better down the road. And government does have a role in that. Uh, I'm not a big government person, but I think government should act smart, not big, but smart. And helping kids when they're young prevents dependency when they're older, encourages people to be able to have as much of their potential achieved as possible. So to me, it's a, it's, it's a smarter thing to say, in some cases you pay up front, right? Versus paying down the road. And the short-termism that government often has, I think I'm less short-term than I would have been before I had my daughter. Right. Jody Jenkins, any uh, questions for our guest? No, I've been taking lots of notes, and uh, quite frankly, I'm offended with both of you. And I'm probably going to reach out. Probably going to reach out to Bruce Arthur and have him do a, a big story on it. So yeah, there we go. Jody is always helpful. Thank you, Jody. You're fun, Jody. I gotta say, I, don't, I can't say anything. I'm I'm just flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I with uh, having uh, had that comment from Jody, I think we'll leave it at that. Tasha Carradine, thank you for. <laughs> joining our program. It's been great having you as a guest. And uh, uh, I can assure you that Jody will not be filing a complaint. Okay. I'm not sure you'd be complaining too, but you know, I'm intrigued now, Jody, we got to have a chat offline. <laughs> Excellent conversation. And uh, we've been saying it a lot lately. Sounds like someone that we probably should have back on another show. 
No, she's uh, she's got a lot of insight. Uh, I've known her since uh, she we were in the YPCs together, Jody, you know, like in the uh, early 80s, I guess. So uh, that's a long time ago now, but uh, she's obviously moved on from that and has become a full-fledged commentator. So, uh, so is she like your age then? Uh, I think she's just a little younger. She's got to be younger okay. than I am. Yeah, she's definitely younger than I am. But uh, but we were sort of mixing around in that in those circles. Probably older than me then. She could be. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if she was in the. Did you say she was in the youth PCs in the eighties? Yeah. Well, I was in public school in the eighties. Okay. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah. There you go. I'm not saying that she wasn't, but I'm I'm guessing maybe high school ish. Oh, I'm sure Dr. Google has the answer to that, but anyway. Well, I'm sure just like any other woman, she loves that we're discussing her age. Yeah, I know, exactly. I, I, I've come to find my wife tells me she loves it. <laughs> I didn't really fall down a rabbit hole here. I, mean, I actually, I meant to throw in there too, when uh, she was talking about being a parent, you know, as a, as a father of three children, young children, yeah. eight, seven, and eight, five, and two, almost three. Um, life, life isn't anything. Until you add guinea pigs to the mix, which we did. We added two. No way. Yeah, two guinea pigs. What are they called? Peaches <laughs> Peaches and Charlotte. <laughs> and you know what? I got to be honest. I, I So I've never had an indoor pet. We've had dogs and cats. They've always lived outside who lived on farms. So I've, and I've had allergies with cats and dogs. So I've just never had an indoor pet. Never had a hamster. Never had a guinea pig. None of that stuff. Bird, fish, whatever. Did have a lizard. Did have a lizard. But then we lost it. And we found it in the ductwork later, and that was the last Yeah, lizard. that was that. So I was a little apprehensive about the guinea pigs. And I got to tell you, they are gro- they're growing on me. They're clean animals. They're very friendly. Like, I got bit by a hamster when I was little. I think that added to yeah. the whole thing. But have you, have you ever had a guinea pig? No, we had, uh, for when the kids were growing up, we had hamsters. We had uh, cockatiel. Love, okay. bir- love birds, budgies, uh, and uh, uh, fish. We had a lot of. Uh, I had an aquarium, so that was. Okay. Uh, so, but but ham- Did you like the hamster or no? Yeah, I I didn't mind the hamster. Okay, never bit you. No, no, never bit me. Uh, okay. Kept kept escaping, uh, and then you know, again, we'd we'd have to be searching the house for the hamster. Uh, guinea pigs. I don't know. I just it's so far my experience with them has been that they are very friendly. Uh, a little skittish, but they, it takes time for them to get used to people. But like, just you never, I never feel like it's going to try and bite you. Whereas with the hamster, it's like, is this thing going to nip at me? I, I don't know. I just, anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, I'm happily uh, surprised with what, uh, with what everything's going on with the guinea pigs. And do you like peaches better or the other one? One's a short hair, one's a long hair. So oh. I think peaches has the short hair. I like them both just as much. I mean, they're. They're pretty funny. They just sit like literally. You could sit and watch a football, and they just sit on your lap. And, no way, eh? Okay. Yeah, and then they get bigger. I, I, that was one thing my wife said to me that these are babies, and I was like, oh, I thought I thought they were full grown. So I guess they get bigger. So. Are, are you planning to get a, like a dog or a cat eventually? Well, we wanted to, but we've been searching for the right one, and this yeah. is kind of like a stopgap measure because the gotcha. kids really wanted a pet. So we're like, well. Let's get a couple of guinea pigs. And you should always get more than one because they're very sociable animals. Right, right. And they get lonely. So we got two of them. And I said to my wife, like, I mean, if we want to add a couple more, I'm fine with that. So you're so. Down, getting going down that road, my friend. I'm a guinea pig dad. Three yeah. kids, two guinea pigs. <laughs> we'll right. add a dog to the mix. And... Perfect. Anyway, uh, thanks again. A new, to new side boy. of you. 
Yes, yes. Well, on my compassionate side. Yes, yes. yes. You know, I, I just feel like a lot of love. Actually, I just feel like a a changed man. And well, you know what, Scott Reed from the Hurley Burley, if you're listening. Please forgive me for everything I've said about you. Yeah. What, what about uh, the uh, Kingston? Boy? Who else? Mark Garrison? Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's guinea pigs. I haven't been like radically. This isn't like road to Damascus moment or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just checking. Just checking. Just kidding. Mark and I are friends. So. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder actually, oh, man, I, I got to get, we got to get him on the show. They yeah. just want to turn my calls. So. We'll work on I'm it. I'm just going to drive to Kingston. We have a prominent liberal we're going to have on the show soon. So uh, maybe they'll open the door. You know who? who? We got for my Beatles episode. Oh, didn't we talk about that? Or no, is that off air? We're not going to use that name yet? Not yet. We want okay, to be a cool. nice surprise. Prominent liberal. Okay. Yes, I do know who you're talking about now. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I forgot that. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, Municipal Solutions, thanks to John and the team for their continued support. Find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And don't forget to go to looneypolitics.com. Use the code podcast for 50% off your annual subscription. And Tony, I know you're going to plug a couple of our other supporters. Yes. Trevor Townsend, who is a senior VP of investment and an investment advisor at Canaccord Genuity Corporation. Visit Trevor for all your uh, advisory needs at trevortownsend.ca. And then there's Stephen J. Sparling at haltongr.com. He's great for municipal work as well in the GTA West. So visit him at haltongr.com. And quickly, I I meant to mention this as well. Um, I sent Tony, I sent you the mock-ups of some yes. coffee mugs. We've got some other merchandise coming. Tony gave me the thumbs up, signed off on it. So let us know if there's something specific you want. I'm probably going to do some hoodies, um, some other kind of merch, band merch. Yeah, like uh, t-shirts maybe t-shirts. and coffee mugs. Tank tops, like for when you're working out. Would you rock a tank and end another thing tank top? Yeah. Sun's out, guns out. Sun's out, guns <laughs> Which way to the beach? <laughs> Um, so yeah. So if you want a specific item, logo it up and, uh, we can get it for you. We'll, we'll do that. Just text Tony. I'm sure if you're listening to the show, there's a good chance, you know, Tony. So, um, send him a text of what you want and we'll make it happen. But yeah, that, we'll those details will start to come out. Yeah. Those details will start to come out more. So yes, we, uh, we definitely are into the merchandise. Now we, we are that kind of a podcast. We're uh, going up against the big guys we know. But, uh, you know, we've got a, we've got a faithful following Jody and, uh, now we're going to have some merchandise for them. Yeah. We could even do that classic, like kiss up thing where we send our guests a coffee mug after their appearance. I, know. I don't know how to do Like I'd have to like, we'd and then invoice them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it comes with an invoice. <laughs> All right. We will do this again in seven days. You betcha.